<laughs> Thanks, John. I was told. I'll give you the 10 bucks. <laughs> God bless you guys. Hello to everybody online. Um, title of the teaching, Love, to Will the Good. Now, that probably is not something that just leaps out like, what do you, what do you mean to will the good? And we're going to get to that. Uh, but it's, I want you to think about love um, as being, at least one way to think about it, is a definition of love is to will the good. And we're going to get into really what that means. It's actually a rather, rather packed statement. Um, last week, or not, I don't know which week it was, I was watching it online uh, or watching it on YouTube. Garrett talked about love, and I know love has been kind of a topic here, uh, rightly so, for, for the last few weeks. Um, and he, he went to 1 Corinthians 13, and at the last verse there is, Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I wanted to go to some verses to start the teaching, and then we're going to just see, see where it goes. Um, but in Galatians 5, it says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, faith, hope, and love all come up in these verses, right? And what's uh, interesting is it starts, though, with the Spirit. So everything I say today, everything I say about human beings, because I'm going to talk a lot about the nature of being human, when we talk about love, when we talk about faith, when we talk about hope, understand that as a believer, none of these things are accessible to us except by way of the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. Uh, but it is important to understand that as human beings, we have this kind of collaborative role with everything God does. He does not steamroll us. You probably have noticed that. You're not a robot for God. And that's a good thing. And it's also a bad thing at times. At times we say, why don't you just like, make me do the right thing here, God, because I'm not doing it. right? It's kind of like Paul in Romans 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. There's a war going on in my members. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he says, well, I thank God through Jesus Christ that, that you do that. So the Spirit is really important, but what's also important for us to understand is who we are as human beings. <clears throat> and I want to kind of unpack that a little bit because to get to willing the good for someone, you have to understand, well, what is it that we're talking about when we talk about human will? So put the diagram up there, Carolyn. Thank you. Now, I don't know if you can see this well here in the room, but hopefully online it's clear. But I'll talk through it with you. Now, don't get too tripped up on You can't take a human being and reduce it into components and say, well, these are all of our parts. A human being is a whole person. Okay, everything works as a whole. It's a, everything's integrated. But if you're going to try to understand how we operate, how God actually designed us, it's kind of helpful sometimes to break it down into parts. So when he breathed into Adam's nostrils and Adam became a living soul, it says... That word soul is many times used for a whole person. Many times, even to this day, they'll talk about how many souls are on a plane or how many souls were on a ship or whatever like that because it refers to like human beings in totality. So the totality of a human being, I've kind of 
broken down into parts here so we can understand what is the will when we talk about willing the good. How do we exercise that will? Interesting thing about the will. It is a decision-making machine, basically. But it's also very agnostic about the decisions it makes. It's willing to make all sorts of decisions, and we've all experienced that. Our will can go all over the place. The idea of willpower is a little bit of an oxymoron. There's very, very little power inherent just in our decision-making ability. Where it gets its power is the heart, which is why the heart is also in this first circle. What empowers your decisions is what's here. That's why it says in Proverbs to guard your heart. For out of your heart flows all the issues of your life. What's in your heart, however, comes via the mind. You don't get something in your heart without it first being processed through your thoughts and your emotions, which is what your mind is about. So this is where another proverb, as a man thinks, so is he. Thinking, our thought life, what we are pondering and processing, both from a cognitive standpoint, but also emotional, because emotions are really important. Um, They wrap themselves around our thoughts, and if those two come together on a consistent, kind of habitual way, where do they end up? They end up as part of your heart. So that's why... You know, you, if you get addicted to something and it becomes so, so much in your mind and wrapped around with emotions of excitement or need or whatever, it actually then becomes part of your heart. And that heart then empowers your will to keep making that choice over and over and over. So how do you change that? you got to change what's coming in here, right? So that's why Romans 12, it says that we are being transformed by renewing our mind. Our mind has to be newed up. It has to have new thoughts, new feelings, new things going into it that we then habitually process, wrap emotions around, and then they become part of our heart. And in that process, now our heart is in a position where God will transform it. And by the way, you can't transform yourselves. It requires, again, Spirit of Christ in you, but not going to steamroll you. You've got to collaborate by saying, okay, I've got the things in my mind, in my, you know, in my thoughts, that allow it to become part of my heart, and then through the Spirit, you transform me, and I become more and more conformed to his image. But that process works whether you're a believer or you're not a believer. I mean, that, you know, the process of how your mind works, the Spirit obviously isn't going to work in an unbeliever, but how your mind works Absolutely, that mind, those thoughts and emotions will feed into your heart, which then empower your decision-making. Okay? Now, what happens if your mind isn't filled with truth? What if your mind is filled with junk? You know, uh, like it says in 1 John, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the desire for possessions. You know, the thing that's, that motivates the world is, is upgrades and experience. And if you really think about it, I mean, that's what everybody wants. I want to upgrade and I want to experience. That's what motivates me. And if that's my motive, first of all, it's very directed to, towards self, you know, and it's all about what can I experience and what can I have in terms of possessions. If that's where your mind is at, it's going to motivate your, your heart, right? It's going to become part of your heart and motivate your will. But here's the funny thing about it. You know who really starts to drive those thoughts? You know what really drives those thoughts of upgrades and possessions? 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, the pride of life. You know what's really driving that? Our bodies. Oh, all of a sudden the body says, I got a direct access to the decision-making in this person because there's nothing in their mind that keeps the body from making that, you know, that claim on their will. So what does your body do? What does your body crave? Well, I don't know. It depends on who you are. All sorts of things, right? I mean, which is why Paul says in the scriptures, I keep under my body. In other words, I keep it under my will. I'm in charge of my body. But if we don't allow the good thoughts of God and the goodness of God to be part of our thought life and become part of our heart, our bodies, I guarantee you, will dictate you know, what you do. Desire does not equal good. In the world, it does. Desire equals good in the world. What I want has to be good, because I want it. By definition, it's good. I want it. It didn't work out so well for Eve, right? Because she's having a conversation with the devil at the time, and when he gets done with her, she says, she looks at this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and she goes, you know, it's a tree to be desired. It's a really pretty tree. That fruit looks really good. I desire the fruit. So all of a sudden, her desire, she equates to good, and she takes and eats, and ever since then, the human being has been driven by desire. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And with those desires, your body says, I, I can work with that, and I will dictate what you want and what you decide. Um, and so for us to get our will around to actually loving, which is to will the good for somebody, what do we have to do with our minds? We have to renew them. We have to new them up, put our... In our own thoughts, by our own free will decisions, we have to bring God's word and his thoughts into our head. That's what we do. You know, and in the process, we start to build a heart that has the habits of our heart become conformed more to his image. Because when Jesus Christ said, look, I'm leaving, I'm going to send the Spirit, but the Spirit is going to take of mine and show it unto you. It's going to guide you into all truth. If you want to know what truth really is, it's the expression of God's reality. And because he is God, he, as God, he is love and he is good, his reality is all about that, right? So truth is really an expression of who God really is and what the nature of God is, not just as God himself, but God in action, in activity in the whole universe, in our world, in us and others and everything. So for, for us to be given the Spirit by Christ that guides us, that's a really handy tool, right? I mean, where would we be without it? We'd be guessing. And when people guess as to what's good and what's true, you know what God says? You end up, you know, calling good evil and evil good. We live in a culture right now that is actually really good at this, at calling something that is not good, good. Something that is evil, good. Something that's good, evil. That's, well, that's where you're going to end up if you're not directed into really understanding, well, what is truth and what is God's expressive desire in this situation that I'm in? The next thing out there is social interactions, and the reason that that's part of who we are as people is we are not designed to be solo artists here. Everything that is in us, ingrained into us, is that we are not alone. What is the very first thing that God says to Adam after he's done with all creation, he's done everything, he looks around and he says, it's not good for man to be what? So he makes a woman who is to be his helper. And now someone, it's a, now they've got, there's two people 
who can interact with each other. And social interaction becomes part and parcel and fundamental to God's goodness before the fall. And his vision for them was to be fruitful, multiply, replenish earth. So he envisioned all sorts of people interacting with each other as part of his good plan. And, his, and it's going to happen, right? That's we're looking forward to that day. Um, but we are designed to have social interactions. What is soul? One way of looking, and again, guys, don't get too technical here. I mean, I'm trying to under, help you understand this is kind of how we operate as humans. Soul is kind of like this great integrator. It's like the underlying operating system. And it, is, it really is, like I said, it's kind of the whole person. So that's why you, nothing is unimportant in the body and soul person. It's all going to work together, and the soul is the integrator. And if you are integrated, if you are as a person along the lines as God designed it, you have what we call integrity. If you don't have that good integration, you are disintegrating. <laughs> you are shrinking. You are kind of falling apart. Does that sound familiar? You, you find yourself unable to do things that you want to do or not do things you don't want to do because you are disintegrated. So the soul is kind of this really important aspect of our lives that integrates all of these things together, which is why you, if you read the Psalms, how many times does soul come up? You know, and, you know, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my soul, Lord. Do as you will. Teach me. Show me. So I can be an integrated person. Now, in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, uh, and he gave them soul life, and he gave them all these attributes, right? By design, they also had access by the Spirit to God's goodness, right? When he said that the day you eat of the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you're going to surely die, they didn't die in their body, right? They continued to live. And they still had an animating spirit in them, the spirit of man. All these attributes were part of their ongoing life. But what they had lost was the access to God's goodness. And really, God's goodness is the expression of his love. How do I know that? Genesis 1, Genesis 2. How many times does God say, and he saw it, and it was good? I mean, when he got done with all sorts of things, if you look, go day by day, at the end of the day, he said, and it's good. And then he got to the end of everything when he had made a man and woman and gave them a mission and everything. He said, and it is very good. Goodness, goodness is really the manifested love of God. The nature of God, when expressed, is just good, always. Which is why, To will the good for someone is simply saying, I am going to take everything, all parts of me, and I'm going to bring them to God, and I'm going to ask him to direct my heart through the Spirit of Christ, and to bring myself to a place where he can help transform me and conform me into the image of his Son. And then I'm going to take my whole person, and I'm going to apply it to good to the good in your life. In my social interactions, my will is for goodness in your life. Now, if you say I'm supposed to love everybody, love my neighbor as myself, now that word love is going to take on all sorts of connotations, right? I mean, in our society, in our culture, love means a variety of things. And we tend to think of love as this warm feeling, this kind of warm, fuzzy 
thing, which sometimes that is, right? Sometimes love is that way, a lot of times maybe. But if we define love instead as it is to will the good for someone, now we're really kind of getting down to something that is much more driven from the, the inner part of me. And, and what I'm driving for is goodness. That's what I want. And the good is what God calls the good. <laughs> that's, that's really important, which is why we need truth in order to access, well, God, what is good here? And sometimes, many times, that is not always evident by our own ability to think. We don't know what's good all the time. And so that's why it's so important, you know, part of prayer Prayer is reaching out to God about things that he and we are mutually involved with. Think about prayers. I want to talk to you, God, about our, our mutual project together, which happens to be a lot about the project of my heart being conformed to the image of your dear son. But I want, to, I want to talk to you about the things that we're mutually involved with. And help me understand what is the good in a given situation. You know, and everybody has experiences. We don't always know what's best for someone. And, it's, and it kind of haunts us sometimes because we want what's best, but we're not, I don't even know what the best thing is for you. So that's where God can come in and reveal truth to our minds, which can become brought into our heart, motivate our will to the good for someone. And if that's my motive, is to will the good for you, then that's love. That's what it's about. Um, and it, you know, it says to love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Now, why are those words used? And they're also used in Deuteronomy 6, where that commandment came from. What is God saying to us? He's saying, look, there are, there are these realities of being a human being. He calls them heart. He calls them soul. He calls them mind. He said, this, this is who you really are as a human being. And I want you to apply that to loving God. He also says strength. And where does strength come in? Well, that's your body, right? You can't express anything that's in your heart, your mind, your soul without a a body to express it, right? No body? How do you express it? Well, you don't. You know, check out the Gospels. Find me one thing where Jesus did without his body. Uh, it's, always, it's always important, which is why a whole person is so important. It's why our bodies are really important. They are the expressions of the things that are in our heart. Think of heart and soul and mind, and even think of self, your person. It, these are not material things. You could dissect your brain, and you know what you're not going to find? Your soul. You're not going to find your mind. Mind and brain are not equal. Brain is a physical part of our bodies. And our mind gives, is, is expressed through our brain's ability to store and process thoughts, emotions, and everything else. But the origin of those things, it's not in your brain. What is it? It's in that non-material part of you as a human being. We call it the soul, the spirit of man. We call it the heart. We call it the mind. Lots of words for it. But the reality is, as human beings, and this is true of all seven plus billion people on the earth right now. They're not just a physical being. They have a spiritual reality we call the spirit of man, or like I said, other words. You know who doesn't believe that? Basically, the entire academy, the entire academic institution on the planet earth doesn't believe that. 
at all. They believe, and this is what the, the ether we breathe every day, is that we are simply advanced animals, and everything about us can be reduced to cause and effect relationships through brain chemistry. Why do you think everybody wants to you know, develop drugs and pills? Because they really feel like we can develop a happy pill, and we can force a human being to actually have happiness or joy through some sort of chemical reaction. And guess what? It doesn't work. Because what they're missing is the reality of, of the way a human being really is made is that we have this spirit. It's, that's what it is. Spirit, a way, way to think about spirit, it's, it's non-bodily personal power. Think of that. Non-bodily, doesn't need, it doesn't have a body, but it has personal power. That's what a spirit is. How about the spirit of God? Non-bodily, right? He doesn't have a form. Personal power. What's his personal power like? Pretty good, right? Kind of unlimited, right? I mean, like, he made a universe. Just spoke it into being, boom. That's his personal power. That's what we're supposed to be able to access through our spirit. Now, how, how about our spirit? Do we have personal power? Yes. If I want to go get three double cheeseburgers with bacon right now, I have the personal power, and I actually have the resources. I have a car, and I have enough money, I think, maybe, to buy those. So I'm resourced, and I have the ability to decide, and that's non-bodily personal power. That is the spirit of man in operation. Then my body goes with it, and we go get the three cheeseburgers, right? How much do I have, though? What, is, what are the resources I have in my personal power, the spirit of man? What can I access separate from God? Uh, not a lot, right? I mean, so that's why it is so important for us to, through the Spirit of Christ, access God and His goodness. And that's what this is all about. Whatever you're doing here today, I don't know why you came here or what you're thinking, but one thing that we can all like come together around, what this whole thing about, of being a Christian, being a believer, is to be restored back to a whole person that can access God's goodness. That's what He wants for us. He sent his son to, to hang on a cross, not just to take our sins, but to defeat the powers of darkness. And you know what defeated the rulers of darkness on that cross? Love. That's how powerful it is. To will the good in such a deep and profound way that he accessed the power of God Almighty, and in the process, he, it says he triumphed over the spiritual darkness and powers of the world. Love exhausted the power of evil. On that cross. That is why he came. Why? To release us and to restore us so he could send the Spirit so we could access God's goodness and become a whole person again. Because this is who we are. But the, the collaborative part of this is all of this is available to us, all of God's goodness, access to this through the Spirit, truth, etc. It is a gift. It's by grace that we have access to all this. But what is necessary? Our will, our heart, has to choose to do this. And it won't do that if we don't take our minds and apply it to God's truth and to his ways and to his thinking. Think of the scriptures as just a a place where we're going to go. Where are you going to learn what God thinks about? That's one great place. He can also reveal things to you, and you can learn, you know, in the fellowship of believers, we're supposed to encourage each other to more worthy endeavors, and part of that is by being purveyors of truth to each other. 
But the scriptures are being, wow, what a handy thing. It's even, no, it's on the phone. I mean, why did God write a book? <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's not, I mean, he did it so that it would be easy for us to access, here's what I'm thinking, and I'm inviting you to think the same things. It says, you know, we are to let this mind be in us, which was in Christ Jesus. Well, wow. That's an option for us, <laughs> to actually develop our minds by deciding what we're going to feed them to where it's actually the mind of Christ that becomes more and more resonant in us. And what, when Christ said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what he was really referring to is, this isn't hard. We're actually designed for this. What's hard is living disintegrated lives. That's hard. Because it unleashes all sorts of woes and problems and issues, and, and we become confused, and our, our hearts become darkened, and that is not an easy way to live. But if we were to allow Christ to yoke together with us, follow him, and let him direct us to the Father, and take of the Father and show it to us through his Spirit, so that our minds and eventually our hearts become like his, that's an easier way to live. So much easier. That's why I say, hey, it's, it's good. It's easy, right? And that's our, our, you know, our quest as believers is to let this work in the way God designed it. And if we will do that, then in the process of that, we will be guarding our hearts from which all the issues of our life come. And then we will be able to do you know, that great commandment, to love God and to love others as ourself. You know, what does it mean to will the good for God? I mean, he's God. Like, he is good. Like, what does that even mean? Well, how about, what is, what's, what is good for God relative to your life? I think he wants to dwell with us. I'm pretty sure that's what he wants because that's what he's always said. The whole thing in, in the Garden of Eden was he could walk in the garden of the cool of the day and hang out. The whole thing, you know, Israel goes into the desert, sets up a tabernacle. What happens? Shekinah glory shows up. God says, now I can dwell with my people in this little space, holy of holies, but at least I have a, a, a toehold here, right? Where does God dwell now? Is in us and in the body of Christ. It's now that's the temple. He wants to dwell with us. What's good for God is our relationship with him. His will is... It says, is for all men to be saved, and that means made whole, and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. And that knowledge of the truth is an experiential relational knowledge. Do you know that in, the, in Hebrew and even in the Greek thinking, knowledge without relationship meant no, there was no sense to it. It's not real knowledge. Mary said, I know not a man. Does that mean I don't know any men? No. She didn't have a particular relationship with a man. So that meant, I don't know them. I don't know. We need relationship. God wants us. His desire, and that's a, a Greek word means it's a white, hot desire. He's passionate about it. For us to be made whole and to come onto this relational knowledge of the truth. So how do I will the good for God? I let that happen. I move toward him. I seek him. Faith is believing that God is and becomes a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. We have to seek. It's our move to seek. But if we will do that, we're loving God because he so wants to dwell with us and be with us. How do I, how do I love myself? How do I will the good for myself? 
well, what's good for me? I mean, whatever's good for me, and that's where I have to have access to God's goodness through the Spirit for me to know personally in my life, in my situation, in my job, my family, my relationships, my particular DNA makeup, the things that I'm skilled at, the things I'm not skilled at, all of that is me. How do I love that person? I will the good for me. And I do those things that bring God's goodness into my whole person. And then I'm in a position to do that for you. Now I'm in a position where I get it, you know, because if I can actually will the good for me, because I have so much evidence against myself as being so undeserving of the good. I mean, are you kidding me? It, it shouldn't, it, you know, it's hard if I really look at my faults and failings and the things I've done in my life to say, well, you know, you really deserve, no, I don't. But it's God's will for me to will the good, to love to love myself. So I do that, despite everything I have against me, right, in order to, it's part of how I love God. I've got to love myself. Otherwise, I'm not going to him, right? And if I can do that with me, I can do that with a stranger, a neighbor. You know, it says neighbor, but in that same, one of the Gospels, it talks about the, uh, the uh, parable of, uh, yeah, Good Samaritan. Because he says, well, who's my neighbor? And then he tells him this story <laughs> about this guy who gets injured and a Samaritan comes and takes care of him. Meaning anybody could be your neighbor at any time. If they need your love, if they need you to will the good for them, yeah, that's your neighbor. Well, who is that? I don't know. It could be anybody, right? Even your enemies. When we say love your enemies, if I think of love as a warm and fuzzy feeling and a desire I have, and it's you know, like, I want, oh, I, I really want to be. How do I do that with an enemy? But if I think of it as to will the good for that person, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His will is for all men to be saved, no matter who they are, what they are. I can do that. I can will the good for anybody in that context. And that's what it means to love God, to love myself and my neighbor as myself. And that is what we're called to do. We're called to do that with our whole being, our whole self, body, soul, and, of course, spirit. And we know as we do that, this is the great promise that God has. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for. We don't know how to do these things. We, we're not even sure how to move forward in this willing the, the good for people. And that's in Romans 8, God says, don't worry about it. The spirit searches the deep things of the heart. God's spirit knows the mind of our human spirit. He knows where to bring us. And if we will lay claim to that and we understand that, and therefore we seek him, we seek his goodness in his heart, he is going to continue to work within us. And we know then, as it says in Romans 8, all things will work together for what? Good. (laughs) To them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that great news? And that's what I wanted to share with you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Steve. That was great. Well, that gave me something to think about. I get to do something that's good for God. That is, that is an amazing concept. Thank you for that, Steve. I know how to do... I've thought about doing good for others. That's something that might be, you know... 
good for John or good for Rose or good for Ron. 